Hello, welcome to the Autocar Podcast, My Week in Cars, with Matt Pryor, and I'm joined as ever by Steve Cropley. Morning, Stephen. Morning, Matthew. Welcome to my dining room. Well, thanks for having me, mate. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Uh, we have a letter from uh, Sniff Petrol, Richard Porter, your friend and mine. Because last week or week before, I forget, we talked about, uh, I was corrected, actually it was last week, I was corrected by a listener because I've been saying every week since 1895 that the autocar has been published. And uh, somebody wrote in and said, are you sure it's every week since 1895? I'm sorry to be a pedant, sorry to be that bloke, but I'm going to be that bloke. Anyway, Richard writes because he's um, published a book called Boring Car Trivia. I think there's two of them. And in there, he's had uh, it's, it's some intel from actually another one of our friends, who's Keith Jones, who um, is a bit of a keen archivist, who says, um, so yes, quote from, quote from the book, first published in 1895, Autocar is um, one of the world's longest running magazines, but there have been unscheduled gaps in its weekly publication routine. This is not boring, is it? <laughs> we hope. Notably, in 1926, the general strike caused the autocar to disappear from newsstands for three weeks. A second major hiatus came in November 1973, when strikes, the energy crisis and three-day week forced the mag to pause publication. In this instance, Britain was starved of car news and protests for over four months until March 1974. Oh, gosh, OK. The thing is, Keith Jones knows everything. So he does, I, doesn't he? I was thinking that it was a shorter period than that, but, yeah, I thought but so I've too. got no proper evidence. And if Keith Jones says that, then I bow to what well, he says. Yeah, I mean, he's yes, he's the bloke who knows that sort of thing, isn't he? So yeah. we'll, we'll see. But anyway, yes, uh, at some point in the not-too-distant, we'll have more news on the digital archive on the autocar front, but that's coming soon. You can write to us. Um, autocar at haymarket.com is the email. Somebody else who's written is Stephen Vaughan, who's just read the article about prolonging the life of cars, something Stephen already does, buying a car at three years old, keeping it for seven to ten years, when he's had value out of it and it's more than paid back its CO2 credentials during manufacture. However, there is an article on page 13 of this week's issue that he's talking about, which would be the 14th of June issue, uh, which mentions the Honda Sony premium brand Afila talking about their intention to offer 10-year leases with updates to keep the cars feeling fresh. Who are they kidding, says Stephen? An app update will not make a car feel fresh. Updating the springs, suspension and bushes would. How do they propose to do that over the air? Also, how do they propose to keep the bodywork fresh with over the updates? Over the air updates. Anyway, so says Stephen. Yeah, it's all about mileage, isn't it? I mean, we've got plenty of examples, haven't we? You know, one of my son's in a former life was, was the dad of his girlfriend had a, a Honda that was already 25 years old and, and I said well you'll be wanting to buy a new one won't you and he said what would I want to do that for and the car was working fine yeah. and I always remember Frankel Andrew Frankel telling me a tale about some venerable relative who used to buy S-class Benzers at 100,000 miles oh, really? and run them to 200 he'd pay 12 and sell them pay 12k for them and sell them at 8 so, value, you know, 4,000 quid for a pretty good value miles. of motoring, isn't it? Assuming nothing goes wrong, that's sensational. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that is good. Yeah. And yes, my, both of my offspring have 15-year-old cars, and you look underneath them, nothing yeah, wrong. Yeah, the Mazda's great, isn't it? Mazda's great. That Audi A3 my daughter has as well. You look underneath it, and, you know, it looks... If it's clean, it looks as, as new underneath. Yeah. And I think, yeah, with... But it's a fair point. I mean, Springs 
Springs Dampers bushes yeah. will, will want an update at some point, won't they? An update. They'll want changing at some point. Well, I don't think that's a disaster either. No, it's not a big... Well, it's not expensive. Well, you know, in the great scheme of motoring, it's not that expensive to do. You your high milers, your family high milers haven't had spring updates? Oh, they've had, well, they've had replacement springs. In the, the they, Maz- yeah, the Mazda's had a couple of replacement springs. But yeah. mind you, that may be overzealous use <laughs> as part of it. <laughs> but, but, but it's not... It's not the end of the world, you know. The the fact is, it's something that bolts onto a monocot which is still in perfect condition. Yeah, yeah. It's just a. It's effectively a consumable. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by it. I mean, mm. remember the the days when you know you used to buy a car in the 70s or 60s, and you know pretty soon you were seeing the road through the floor. Yeah. And these days, it's just not like that. It's just unheard. Yeah, it's just unthinkable, isn't it? That sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, let's talk your column, shall we? And well, as we talk, you are not long back from, well, a few places, but mostly you've been back to Le Mans for the first time in a while. Yeah, six or seven years, I think six. Um, mm. We were invited, I was invited to join a small group that drove over there in Alpines, which was a great thing to do. I was, um, there were slightly different Alpines from the one I've got, which is a pure, the basic Bogo car. Mm. The, there was an S and a GT, and I suppose I should have put my um, I should have put my effort into trying to work out whether they were better than mine. But as I wrote in the rag the other day, mm. or today, beg your pardon, um, it's like judging ninety four percent against ninety five percent, and I I just couldn't be bothered. No, that's fine. They were lovely, really. What's, lovely. The, what's the what is the GT? It, so an S is a is a slightly quicker, slightly lower. Yeah. But the GT is it's a, based it's a, off the S? Or is that yeah, right? I think it's a thing with spoilers and stuff. Gotcha. On it. I mean, they're, what they're trying to do is update the car without changing it, it mm. seems to me. And, and I'm quite happy to have a, a basic version. Mine's a 250 horsepower one. There's a 290 odd. Right. But I looked at the torque curves and couldn't see much difference before you got to about five grand. Yeah. Maybe even a bit more. And also I... Um, don't care. You know, it goes fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two fifty is plenty on the road, isn't it? Most well, it time. is for a car that weighs a ton or eleven hundred. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, you know, still feeling good. So, a trip to a, a road trip to Le Mans is a day, a decent day's drive, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. Didn't see a single policeman. Sort of... oh, really? Lots of lots of Brits on the way. Mm. Lots of speeding Brits on the way. Actually, mm. we just cruised at eighty and a bit. Uh, yeah. Sorry, one hundred and thirty, one hundred and forty. Yeah. Because I just don't fancy fines. No. And you get there. You do. Um, and we just found that the car was lovely, you know, easy to place on the road, quiet even. Mm. But anyway, um, it was a good trip. Got there with ease on Thursday night. Spent Friday sort of messing about, getting accredited, things like that. And then went to an Alpine launch for the new, for the car they're going to, hypercar they're going to run next year, the hybrid. Oh, interesting. Which... Looked fabulous, and the, des- the Alpine designer was there. A bloke called uh, Raphael Linari, terrific mm-hmm. fella. Had dinner with him later. Really good, you know. One of those people who, uh, when he starts talking, he he can't can't do it without drawing for you. So oh, I've got all these doodles in my notebook, which oh, is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then the race, you know. What was I was there only for half of the race because I had to go to Paris to be there on 
the Sunday night, Monday. Mm. But I watched the rest, the, the end of the race from a Mercure hotel in Paris, which was actually a pretty good way to do it. Made yeah. me think if there was a proper 24-hour feed here, I think I'd really be interested in it. I mean, yeah. there probably is online somewhere. <laughs> there is, I think, yeah. I didn't watch it on a, a feed like that, but I think you can. Yes, there are ways to watch it, which is pretty... Yeah, which it was a really nice. riveting race because it was one yeah. of these ones where um, it rains on one side of the circuit and not the other. Mm. So there, at one stage, a third of the circuit was streaming wet in, early in the race, and the rest was dry. So yeah, so the the wet tires were absolute necessity for safety, you know, just to stay on the track. Yeah, but they were rubbish on two thirds of the circuit. Yeah, it was really hard job for the strategists. I think that's really tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing quite like falling off to ruin your 24-hour no. race. And there were some spectacular spins. You know, the people yeah. spinning six times, you know, yeah. down the track. Yeah. And But I tell you what, that I always think what Goodwin, uh, Colin Goodwin, described um, Le Mans. At, we, we went over there one time for now to go around it in some Focus RSs, I think, when they were new. And he said at the time, and I thoroughly agree with him, he said... This place makes Spa feel like a cart track. <laughs> <laughs> were you uh, were you up for any nighttime racing? Did you? Uh, yeah, stay we were there stuff? till about uh, two a.m. Something like that. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's my favourite part of it. Yeah, is the is the night is is walking through the you know walking up to one of the yeah. more distant corners at night and you you know you see them through the trees as they hair past and the lights scream past and the noise and it's just yeah and the, really the crowds thin out a bit too don't yeah. they the, the the we we did some daytime uh, uh, you know observation out in the middle of the track there and uh, further up the track and uh, it's quite hard to get set to really see what you want to see and mm. it, it thins out in the nighttime mm. let's talk back to let's talk about uh how are you? How are you as a passenger, Steve? In cars, most of the time. <laughs> well, I, I'm a, a good, small, small. I reckon I'm a good passenger. I yeah. like being driven by good people in good. Mm. You know, we are always in good cars, aren't we? But I was severely frightened by <laughs> the bloke that took us back from the circuit to a hotel that we had. It was fairly remote, so it was a, it was something like a you know seventy mile drive. Oh, this wow, that's a long a, way. It was a long way, but yeah. it was, it's it's what there was. Mm. Um, but uh, we we were in this, um, I think it was a Citroen van, you know, a tranny in effect. Yeah. It shouldn't dismiss that Citroen's fine commercial One of the excellent range. commercial vehicles, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, this bloke was absolutely terrifying. He was, he was a professional driver. It was quite obvious he'd been doing it for many years. Mm. But he was one of these people who's always impatient. So he just didn't sit there and drive the car. He needed to do stuff, so he ate, he drank, he looked at the headlines on his te- on his telephone. You know, we're doing we're doing ninety. You know, because they're quite potent these things nowadays. Yeah, yeah. When you wind them up, yeah. You know, there's six people in the back, flat strap. We're about you know sort of half a car length from from the stuff in front. It's raining, yeah. Um, and and to cap it all, he he regularly you know he was riddled with disease, so he sneezed all the time, and he mm. could sort of. T- have this mega sneeze into a into a tissue which he would then lob in the in the center console sort of next to me and there's this growing pile of 
And meanwhile, we're kind of wobbling down a road. And I thought, God, does this bloke... When, when was his last really big one? It must yeah. have been. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the thing that I kept thinking was, what do you do when somebody's a, a really rubbish driver? You know, you can't sort of say, please don't read your read the news on, on your telephone while we're doing 90. You can't do it somehow. No. Especially in French. Yeah. It is tough though, isn't it? I've sat next to some iffy drivers in the past. I'm not the world's best passenger. Are normally not- normally we drive with very good drivers. Yeah. Which is, you know, so it's not a, it's not a big deal. But yeah, I have, every once in a while you sit alongside somebody who's not very good. I don't quite know how to... Most journalists are fine, aren't they? Yeah. That's true. And everybody in the industry is also fine. Yeah. But just, I don't, yeah, I don't know what the etiquette is to say, can I get out now, please? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I was wondering whether I was going to see another summer, another, sorry, another day. Yeah. i tell you what, though, the other day when we did our luxury car thing, mm-hmm. I drove around with Matt Saunders. We we're trying to make judgments about ride, do you remember? Yeah, road test editor, Matt Saunders. Yeah, yep. Matt, road test editor. He's such a good driver. I, he is. You know, he, he's, um, he's brilliant on the road. The car was, it just sort of flows along the road. And I found myself thinking, gee, I'd like to be able to do that. He's a, he is a, an exceptionally good driver. I, he's not a very good passenger because he gets motion sickness quite often when uh, somebody else is driving. And also, I, if we're on circuit, I find it difficult to sit next to anybody. Yeah. Really. Well, so, so there are say, times, and I hope neither of us is offended, but when we go to do our road testing at, say, Myra Proving Ground and we go to set some lap times and things like that, quite often one of us will go, actually, I'm just going to stand outside while you do some, and then we'll swap rather than sitting alongside each other because both of us are just like, no, I don't fancy. Yeah. I, don't fancy. I think it's about the loads, isn't it? You know, in the old day, when, when, when cars were Austin Healy Sprites, you know, mm. you, they, they sort of started to slide at about 0.6G and there were no real loads on the body. But nowadays, you know, there you are going around in a McLaren or something. Yeah. The, it's, you really have to withstand quite a lot Some of loads. Yeah. New Range Rover Sport SV on its all-season tyres can pull over 1G laterally. Wow. I mean, it's just... And, I mean, it's got a little body lean, but it's got active anti-roll bars, so it's quite well. Uh, no, not active anti-roll bars. It's got a fancy new hydraulically linked suspension that can put... Anyway, it can resist roll yeah. quite well. They allow a little, otherwise it's weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a strange thing to be that high and to feel those many forces. And you can be next to the yeah. one of the greatest drivers they have, and they have a lot of them, but it still feels slightly unsettling. Yeah. At that speed. It's amazing, that, that roll control, isn't it? I mean, oh, yeah. when I think, I, I think back to the 1970 Range Rover, which I, I go back that far, or mm. 72, um, I just remember the extent of the body roll in the, in the original Range Rover. You, used to, you know, you were, you were kind of foot closer to the ground on one side than the <laughs> other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, the last, time the, the last time that Ferrari won Le Mans, the Morris Minor was the market leader in the UK. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing, isn't it? I think it was a that market ex- leader. That- I'm not sure if it was the best seller, but it was mm. selling out of its socks. Yeah. And BL- BMC were making 900,000 cars. I am surprised that it has taken that long for Ferrari to win it again, but I suppose they haven't put that much effort into it since. No, I, I think they... That's the thing. It's not, for, it's not that they've been desperate to, try, desperate to win it for the past. 
no. 50 years. Well, I've been in the lesser categories, of course, mm. a lot with 488s and things. Yeah. But but uh, I think to it did seem like a um, a win for the good guys, although Toyota feel they were robbed because mm. of the there's some very complicated balance of performance uh, um, regs that, that changed at the last minute, I think. It's just, yes. I think the, it's a mess. The ACO, which is the French organising committee for Le Mans, seems to have form of upsetting people <laughs> with that sort of thing, don't they? Yeah. I think. I'm a bit... Uh, I've written about this before, balance of performance. I get it in road-based categories where... Otherwise, no... If you're racing a Ferrari 4 or 88 or a Bentley GT3, Three or a uh, one of the larger production-based cars, BMW M8, whatever it is, balance of performance makes sense because they're supposed to be production-based, and otherwise people like Ford come along, make a GT, which is a racing car, put some number plates on it. It would have a it would have an advantage over yeah. every proper road-based, super, you know, supercar-based yeah. racing car. Balance of performance makes sense, but in a category like the leading one, I don't know. Oh, I'm not quite so comfortable about no no with, give with them pure a, racing cars. I'm not quite so comfortable about balance of performance with that. Yeah, I think give them a formula and yeah, let them go. And they yeah. and there were there are people talk about simplification, don't they? Just just make it a fuel thing. You've got this much fuel. Yeah. Now go and do twenty. Now go hours. and do twenty four hours. Yeah, and if you want to put some kind of limit on. The problem is some people spend more than others and you spend your way to the top, but you can do that, as you say, if you give them a certain amount of fuel and if you just make good, accurate technical regulations, surely that's the yeah. that's enough, isn't it? And, and, and also, we the punters, we would understand it better. Yeah. Because I, I think you do want to just see a... I mean, you want to see close racing, but you want mm. to see a understandable competition, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Uh, right, we'll take a very short break. Steve and I will be back with more My Week in Cars in just a second. What car would you buy if you could buy any car? What car would you buy if you knew you could save thousands? What car would you buy if you could compare the latest offers from approved dealers? What car would you buy if you could do all of this in one place in just a few simple clicks? And where would you go to buy that car? What car? Car buying made easy. Visit whatcar.com to buy your next new car. Welcome back to the Autocar Podcast, My Week in Cars. You can write to us, autocar at haymarket.com. And John Kent has done uh, exactly that. He mentions, Steve, you mentioned uh, Corvette's uh, connection the other week and uh john is lucky enough to own a very early shelby cobra Whoa. sounds all right came to me. with a rather nice key fob which he's attached a picture of but he's writing primarily to say i'm immensely frustrated by the continued increase in car size and power what do manufacturers think they're doing plus <laughs> the terrible design of some current bmws we were told that the chinese wanted big front grills but guess what new chinese designed are streamlined and actually pretty nice um I have a private saying, when I pull back the bedroom curtains in the morning, would I be proud of my new car? Perhaps some car designers don't have bedroom curtains. <laughs> uh, also, I still love my Golf R, Volkswagen Golf R, Mark 7 facelift. Is there a car to replace that? Well, lots to think about. Car size and weight yeah. and power. And a Chinese conspiracy theory to encourage us all to, to think they want these ugly 
<laughs> motors and then yeah. build pretty and ones. And then they build really nice ones <laughs> to prove that they don't at all. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Although a lot of Chinese cars are designed on this side of the, the world yeah, anyway, they aren't are. they? Yeah. Um, is there a car to replace a Mark 7 Golf? And a oh, Mark God. 7 this is, this is one for you, mate. No, no, not, not me, except that I, I, I mean, I think VW are busy trying to replace the, the Golf with a, you know, with EVs and... Mm. I would trust them to do it, but I, you know, yeah. ID3s and such, but, yeah. but I think I'm if you want to be really competent. Yeah, I think if you want a hot hatchback, subtle, mid-size, small, what we used to call small family car, a golf size, golf class car that is good fun to drive and, you know, quickish, I'm not sure there is anything. Just yet. Just yet, but there will be at some point. But some of the, I mean, there's, um, Cooper are doing well. Cooper does pretty well, actually. The Formentor is quite a, is a nice car. I mean, it's a bit taller than a Golf, but it's a nice car. The 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 uh, the Bourne, if you are after an EV, is a pretty pleasant car to drive, I yeah. think, because it's rear wheel drive and steering's uncorrupted. Really lovely. Uh, can I talk about this yet? No, I will soon be able to talk about a Hyundai Ionic Five N. Mm. Well, that sounds good. But yeah, I'll talk about that another time. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I'm not sure there. There's not an obvious. There's not an obvious alternative. I tell you to what, something the, like that isn't it amazing to look back along the line of golfs and see how fantastically consistent they've been. I mean, I know that people say the original golf is now the size of a polo and all the rest of it, but the mm. but the the way they've the way they've understood what people want in a car yeah. is admirable isn't it, it goes it back to 74 or something doesn't it and yeah. and um but i can see therefore that that people are having a bit of trouble tuning into that uh, that precise mission if you mm. get me but i think you know vw is so smart I and mean, i reckon they'll get there i think they'll figure it out at some point yes um shall we talk my column briefly yeah go for it uh, yeah. i so i drove the bentley batter last week which is the Super exclusive. There are eight. There are going to be eighteen of them. It's a Continental GT Speed based um, coupe, which has been treated by the Mulliner Coach Built division, which is the sort of highest echelon of Bentley's Mulliner division. So there's three. There's three prongs to the Mulliner thing. There's. Um, actually, you've just spent some time with Bentley because you've bit, you've yeah. taken a delivery of a flying spur. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's, oh, I forget what they're called. But anyway, there's Mullinup-based options on Bentleys. So most people spend, when they start ticking some Mulliner options, most people spend 30 grand in, on options. Amazing. And if they go for the Bespoke by Mulliner program, which uh, gets a bit greater personalization, they tend to spend 60 grand. And then there's the Mulliner coach built, which you know is the flagship of the whole thing, where they... And that's Batur. That's Batur, and it was Bacalar before that, which is a, which was a convertible based on the GT Speed, I think Continental GT Speed. And um, what's the damage for a Batur? Well, a Batur is one point six five million plus taxes. So and they're point, sold. And they're sold. Yeah, and they are different enough from a GT Speed that they go through individual vehicle approval in the UK. Yeah. And if you want to import them to the states, they're on that show and. Oh yes, thingy yes. Legislation, it's but they're not so different that you have to crash test them again. Okay. So it's a sort of carefully done thing. But in, and inside, you can get you can spec three D printed 
gold organ stops if you want yeah yeah you know, it's, it's quite so yeah. it's quite a, an interesting did you like it i did like it yeah and i sort of think well is it worth the money is it worth what eight times a gt continental gt you know how do you how do you justify that well they've sold them all so you know yeah should have made 50 as you said in yeah. your column you said you should have made more yeah yeah i mean so they made 12 bacalars didn't they and they're making 18 batters and Anyway, so as you, you know, chat to people from, well, as you, as you know, you, when you talk to anybody, you might go, oh, what, are you, what are you up to in the coming weeks, months? You know, what's next? But of course, when you say that to people from the car industry, they go, well, I can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? So there's a guy called Paul Williams, who is the head of Mulliner and Motorsport at Bentley's chief technical officer for those two. What's next, Paul? Well... Uh, well, I can't. I can't. Yeah, I yeah. can't really say. Mind your own business. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. So he says, "Well, what would you do?" And I think, well, well, there's a reason I'm not in charge of Mulliner at Bentley, mate. Is that <laughs> they, people don't ask me that sort of. Thing. But I thought, what what is next for Mulliner? Because they've made all the bacalars. They are soon to be making. Um, they're still developing the, the the batters a bit, but that will finish soon enough, and they'll start making them. And of course, they will start on what's next. Yeah. How refined is your flying spur that you're running at the moment, Stephen? It's an interesting car because it is very refined, mm. but it's not ultimately refined, I think. And some of that's to do with the fact that Bentleys have to be so fast. Yeah. You know, they, it's, it's implicit in, them, in, the, in the spec that they have to be able to do close to 200 miles an hour. Mm. I think it does 187 or something, this car, if you can find that spot. And that means big tyres. It means, you know, I guess... Uh, you know various you wouldn't call them compromises but high speed cap- capability that might not be built into a car that did 130 mm. so that slightly attacks the refinement I, I mean it's a lovely car I'm really enjoying it but but I love your point in your column about you know suggesting that refinement and and particularly road noise is a is, is a way uh people like Bentley should be working. Mm. Well, it I got will. me thinking about, you remember Lotus and Anti-Noise? Oh, and yeah. I, I sort of wonder why they don't, um, whether it would be possible to create a system that, you know, sort of shouts in a negative way at the road noise that's coming up through the car. I mean, I can't see, you can buy noise-cancelling headphones for not very much money, can't you? So I yeah. can't see why a very sophisticated system wouldn't do it. But yeah, that was my thinking of if you were going to make the next if I was going to make the next Mulliner because the people who own two million quid cars have all the cars in the world yeah they've got a big collection of supercars or whatever and actually truth be told they could get into any one of those supercars or they could get into a Caterham 7 which would probably be more fun than any of them however if they had the most refined luxurious the quietest Bentley or the quietest road car ever made maybe flying spur based streamlined body as you say, some anti-noise or something to counter the road noise, which is the biggest noise in modern cars. Yeah, um, you would have in that a car that nothing else could do. And I think that's. A, I think that's a powerful point. So that would be if you know what I would do. That, but also, uh, have a Bentley Continental GT shooting brake. Well, indeed, that would that, also be quite cool. It would be, and yeah. um, well, they found to be useful, aren't they? The you know the um, the uh, Squareback version of the of the Taycan is is popular. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, good anyway. idea. Yeah, anyway, so if I'm in, if so, 
What would get I them do? on the phone? So mate. what would I do? As Mulliner, what would I do next? One of those two. Yeah. But I lo- I do like the idea of somebody setting out to make the quietest car yeah. ever. Yeah. The absolute quietest car possible. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful idea. But you're right, Bentley do because the cars have to do such high speed. I wonder if there is a. I've written this before. If there is a car with a broader remit than the Bentayga SUV, because it's got a tow, three and a half tons, have some off-road ability, be luxury, yeah. luxurious and refined, and also do whatever speed they ask that to do, which is yeah, the, the high hundred and somethings, isn't it? Do the do the the quick nervo ring time and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very broad. Uh, right. How far are we into this week's pod? We are almost towards the end. A reader writes in to you. Now, you will need, listener, to have um, the magazine from the 14th of June. No, the 21st of June issue, sorry, um, to have seen this. But we may put a picture on the socials. An eagle-eyed reader of excellent taste, Jaron Geldard, recently spotted a stainless steel Ferrari shark nose <laughs> it's on the a- eBay. Yeah, it's just a garden ornament that's made of stainless steel, and it's a profile picture of the the car that Phil Hill became world champion in. And, mm. Oh, the, you know the famous Sterling Moss race, I think it's 61, where where he he beat, in a, in a rather um, a slow Lotus 18, he beat a bunch of Ferraris. Right. They're the Ferraris. Yeah. Oh, anyway, I see. it's a beautiful car, and, and the, I think it's a good idea. Yeah. You just, just stick this thing on, on a post in your garden, and the wind comes along and blows it around. Oh, so it's just, it spins... Wildly, yeah. or is it a weather vane in the? I'm not, sort of I'm not too sure. Way? I haven't quite seen one. I've just seen oh. the photograph. That, uh, that do you know how big it is? I don't. But it, I mean, I would estimate from the picture that it's a foot long. Say. Oh, okay. But there, apparently, you can get Lotuses and McLarens as well. Oh, super! So I was asking um, Mr. Geldard whether whether um, he was going to go for a fi- for a for a grid, and he, <laughs> but uh, I don't think he's decided. A subtle part of the garden. Thirteen pound forty two. Well, I think that's like, money went, but well, like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get one. Yeah, that sounds like rather good value, doesn't it? Um, right, we have one more letter. Jonathan Saul writes in. Um, he has a, a Land Rover Series 3 lightweight, a Lexus RX 2015 model, and um, some other stuff. I regularly see large vehicles parked so far away from the curb that a gangplank wouldn't be out of place, <laughs> which in turn reduces the rest of the road space available for other road users. Um, and it would be interesting to do... He basically, his point is, he was worried about the size and the width of cars, which I think are... Well, I drove through Bybury this morning on my way here. Oh, and yeah, Not easy. No, because there's part, cars parked on one side next to, the, next to the river, and then there's almost but not quite space to, yeah. to get two cars through. And the tourist buses get over there, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and, you know... When cars are uniformly nearly two metres wide. That is yeah. the thing. I would like to see, says Jonathan, a crash test comparison between a Fiat 500, present Fiat 500, and a 1990 uh, era family saloon car. Yeah. He says, I know what I'd rather be in. Hmm. I don't know what I'd rather be in. I might almost, if I was going to get, I think I'd probably rather be in a new 500. Yeah. It depends, well, it depends what you're going to hit and what's going to run into you yeah. crash I mean crash test is crash performance is the main also there's an inertia issue isn't there we, you know small package maybe if it stays yes. rigid you you 
it, it doesn't sort of keep going in the crash. And yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's a complicated one. That it is. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was studying. I think they called it compatibility, which is if something large runs into something small, you would probably want to be in something oh, large. Yeah. But if but it, yeah, but you could well. Yeah, it depends on the size of accident you, yeah. the type and size of accident you're having. I think. But the other point he makes that I like is, is, you know, he was talking about how big cars get parked often too far out from the curb, mm. and I think that's a matter of not being able to see. It's so wide you can't see or estimate very well the other side. Yep. And also your alloys cost a, you know two yep. grand a corner, so you you're terrified to get within a sort of. Bull's roar of, yeah. the, of the curb. Yeah, I think both of those are totally fair. Whereas actually you would run up against, quite happily run up against a curb in something with some sidewall. Yeah, if, you, you. if you're in your in your steel wheeled yeah. Ineos, whatnot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I, uh, but yes, I think, I think in general, Jonathan, um, some very uh, fair points. If, you know, it is car size inflation, he says, how can it be sustainable when we consider the raw materials needed? Oh, that's a fair I mean, point. It is a fair point. I mean, lighter is better, as we have, as we have said. On which note, um, that brings us towards the end of today's pod. I am going to go home and work on a seven hundred kilogram car. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> In the hope that it will be ready for the Bister Heritage Flywheel Festival on Sunday. Fantastic. Where you are going to on Saturday? Yeah, well, I'm by going the to be time this Saturday. by the yep. time this pods out, it will have been and gone flywheel, which is I'm looking forward to yeah. very much. Oh, me yeah. too. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. Uh, you can find Autocar on digital subscription. You can find it on print, as it has been uh, weekly since 1895. You can find us over at the YouTube. We're on all the socials, and my week in cars will be back this time next week. Thank you, Stephen. See you soon. See you next time. Bye.